1: Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here, our number 877 381 3811. 877
0: 381 3811. It is wonderful to be back. I've missed you a great deal. I want to thank all my. My friends and, and uh, hosts who stepped in for me, thank you very, very much. We had a very important interview with the Prime Minister of Israel. We'll talk about that later. But it takes time to get to Israel, do the job, and get back to the United States. And by the way, he is a remarkable man, Benjamin Netanyahu. And as I say, we'll talk about that later. I certainly hope you watch the show on Sunday, Life, Liberty, and Levin. He was spectacular in that interview. And I want to talk about Sanders, and I want to talk about the coronavirus, and we will. But before we do that, the very first book I wrote was called Men in Black, How the Supreme Court is Destroying America. And it really is something to watch these so-called experts and former federal prosecutors and defense lawyers and retired judges go on TV and defend the indefensible. Let me start from the bottom up. Judge Amy Berman Jackson. She's a federal district court judge, of which there are about 900, give or take. She was appointed by Obama because she was a leftist, and she was known to be a leftist. Obama had a litmus test. His litmus test wasn't that He would nominate judges who would adhere to the Constitution. He nominated judges who would not adhere to the Constitution. That's what a progressive is. Judge Amy Berman Jackson is a rogue federal judge. And Judge Jackson, I hope you're listening to me. Apparently, you have a very thin skin and you like to watch the media, including Fox News. You are unhinged. You have a gag order. On Roger Stone, and you have absolutely no constitutional basis or right to have a gag order on Roger Stone. The trial is over. What you wrote about defense counsel that asked for you to recuse yourself was the ramblings and rantings of a hack. Of a hack. You went ahead and sentenced Roger Stone before you even bothered to look into legitimate allegations of a tainted juror who may well have withheld information or provided false information to the court. This happened in your courtroom. And you plow ahead anyway with the sentence. You're arrogant and you're not particularly bright and you're doing grave damage To the judiciary. To the integrity of the judiciary. And to the public's view of the judiciary. You, not the president, you are damaging the judiciary. And I'll get to Sotomayor in a minute. Now. Now she's attacking, apparently, in a closed courtroom, Tucker Carlson. She's attacking him, apparently, and I suppose others, for daring to reveal what are and were public tweets from the jury foreman in the Roger Stone case. So, this judge will not allow Roger Stone to speak even though the trial's over. She makes outrageous, in closed session, allegations against. Tucker Carlson, in other words, she has a real problem with freedom of the speech under the First Amendment, and apparently due process when it comes to the prosecution of Roger Stone, and apparently cruel and unhuman punishment when it comes to solitary confinement for that period of time from Manafort. This is a judge who should have recused herself because she is incapable of impartial justice. She doesn't cut it. She has a lifetime appointment, and apparently there's no way to deal with her. No way. You know, in the first book I wrote, Men in Black, I said the biggest myth about judges is that they're somehow imbued with greater insight, wisdom, and vision than the rest of us. That for some reason, God Almighty has endowed them with superior judgment about justice and fairness. But the truth is that judges are men and women with human imperfections and frailties. Some have been brilliant, principled and moral. Others have been mentally impaired, venal, and even racist. It's true. America's founding fathers had a clear and profound vision for what they wanted our federal government to be. They created a Republican government, strong enough to protect and nurture the young nation, but at the same time, one limited in scope and size so that it could not squelch states' prerogatives or stifle their citizens' liberty. The overarching purpose was to prevent the concentration of power in a relative handful of institutions and individuals. With respect to the federal judiciary, the framers also had definite intentions. They wanted a central court in the Supreme Court free from the political pressures of the legislative and executive branches of government, with a narrow role and limited authority, a judiciary that respected, applied, and preserved the rule of law and the principles of popular sovereignty enshrined in the Constitution. And were our forefathers to view the American federal government of the 21st century, I believe they'd be appalled. Activist judges have taken over our school systems, prisons, private sector hiring and firing practices, and farm quotas. They've ordered local governments to raise property taxes and states to grant benefits to illegal immigrants. They've expelled God, prayer, and the Ten Commandments from the public square. They've endorsed severe limits on political speech. And they've protected virtual child pornography, racial discrimination in law school admissions, flag burning, the seizure of private property without just uh, uh, compensation, and partial birth abortion. They've announced that morality alone is an insufficient basis for legislation. Courts now second-guess the commander-in-chief in in time of war and confer due process rights on foreign enemy combatants, and they intervene in the electoral process. And yet, when I or others or the president dares to question their outrageous statements and conduct. It is he who is condemned and attacked. We have federal district judges, the overwhelming number of whom have been appointed by Obama and Clinton in over 50 cases, have put in place, since President Trump has been president, nationwide injunctions One federal district judge, in one district, could be one town, one city, one region, putting in place nationwide injunctions against this president and his policies. We've never seen anything like this before, ever. We have a federal judge in Washington, D.C., Amy Berman Jackson, who's unhinged, she's gone rogue, viciously attacks Roger Stone's defense counsel when they even suggest she should recuse herself because of her obvious bias, smears them, demeans them. When she's told apparent in the public media and elsewhere that the foreman in the jury trial Was partisan and biased and incapable of impartial justice. She praised the jury. She bragged about the jury. And she plowed ahead with sentencing Roger Stone to 40 months in prison. And today, in secret, she attacks a Fox host, Carlson, because he takes public information. And gives it additional public attention about the foreman. And today the judge rules well, we'll bring the foreman in here and ask her some questions. Wow. Wow. That's a dance, that's a joke. Meanwhile, wasn't that long ago where the Chief Justice of the United States said, we don't have Obama judges and Clinton judges and Reagan judges and Bush judges. We're all magnificent judges. We all adhere to our oaths. That was a bald-faced lie. A lie. A disgrace. And don't forget, Defense Counsel asked that this foreman, the juror who became the foreman, be dismissed during voir dire. But the judge said no. The judge said no. That's who this judge is. And if the President of the United States pardons Roger Stone, and I'm not going to be like others and put pressure on the President, the President will make his own decision. It's not a litmus test. You watch how they attack him. We haven't heard from Schumer and Pelosi and the Democrats criticizing this rogue, unhinged judge, now have we? We haven't heard the media criticizing this rogue, unhinged judge, have we? Nor will they. Because she's highly political and partisan. And she knows it. Which is why she reacts emotionally, viscerally, angrily, when she's called out on it, whether in official court filings or on the Fox News channel or behind this microphone. I've been on to her from day one from the Manafort case. I don't come to this late and I don't come to this lightly. I've spent my entire career dealing with judges in one form or another, dealing in the law in one form or another, And I've never, ever seen anything like this. And I'm not even a fan of Roger Stone. Quite the contrary. But I do think he deserves at least as much due process as a terrorist, as a mass murderer, as an illegal immigrant, as a recidivist in New York City. And I do think Judge Amy Berman Jackson raises a serious problem in this republic. What are we going to do about judges who defy the rule of law and due process in the Constitution? What are we going to do about judges who dress up in black robes, demand to be called your honor, and pretend that they're impartial judges? What are we going to do about federal district judges who issue nationwide, nationwide injunctions when they know, in fact, they're conducting themselves in violation of over 200 years of tradition. And I want to remind you of something. When you hear these so-called experts on cable TV who attack the president, he shouldn't do this, you know. All these judges, but for the Supreme Court, all these judges and all these courts were created by the political process. By one judiciary act or another. There are no federal district judges in the Constitution. There are no appellate judges in the Constitution. Every damn judgeship and every damn court below the Supreme Court is created by Congress and the President of the United States, signing an act of Congress. Every one of them. Every one of them. And yet they are capable of abusing their power. We have a history full of judges abusing their power. Not just federal district judges, not just appellate judges, but United States Supreme Court judges. And if you look at the first chapter, of men in black, you'll see a list of them. Just some examples. Just some examples. But you'll see a list of them. James Wilson, John Rutledge, Henry Brockhost Livingston, Henry Baldwin, Robert Greyer, these were all Supreme Court justices, Nathan Clifford, Stephen Field, uh, Field, Joseph McKenna, James McReynolds, Hugo Black, even Felix Frankfurter, William O. Douglas, Charles Whitaker, Abe Fortas, and yes, even Thurgood Marshall. When we return, let's talk about Justice Sotomayor. I'll be right back.
1: Mark Lovin.
0: You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars, or purposes... Learning, character, faith, and freedom have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K through 12 charter schools it's helping to found coast to coast. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College too. Go to Levin for Hillsdale.com. Justice Sotomayor, with all due respect, is the least impressive of all the justices. I'm no fan of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but she's smart. Sotomayor, I don't think, is very bright, quite frankly. And I think she proves that often in her opinion. She wrote a dissent which no justice joined. Not one. And what the court did in a particular case was to have to take up a case on an emergency situation because, once again, we have district court judges imposing injunctions nationwide. So this is the way the court is having to deal with it. The Supreme Court doesn't want to deal with it, but it has to deal with it because there's no other mechanism to deal with it. And so she she wrote, rather, an intemperate opinion, much like Jackson on the district court, An emotional opinion where she lashes out against the President of the United States. Now, you have the Washington Compost and other unfree press organs that come to her defense, as you can imagine. As you can imagine. Because she's one of them, a hardcore leftist. They're dressed up as journalists. She's dressed up as a justice. Now, what did she say exactly that caught the President's attention? I'll tell you when we return. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses— it's free monthly speech digest and primus and the classical K through 12 charter schools. It's helping to found coast to coast. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to Levin dot com.
1: Mark Levin, the champion of liberty and true conservatism. Call Mark now, 877-381-3811. The federal courts and the Supreme Court
0: have gotten extremely political as they push the country to the left. Remember, Woodrow Wilson, one of the leading progressives, both as an intellectual and as president, he argued that Progressives need to basically populate the courts. This is what will drive the nation from limited government and republicanism and constitutionalism to progressivism. That's exactly what they've done. This is why they fight like hell over Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh's not even really a hardcore constitutionalist. But they want their court. They want Sotomayors. That's what they want. And so she writes in this rather pathetic opinion where the court again has to step in to deal with one of these national injunctions. She says, among other things, most, perhaps most troubling, the court's recent behavior on stay applications has benefited one litigant over others. Now, who is she talking about? Trump. She's basically saying the majority is stepping in to help Trump, not to deal with this problem they're having with these radical, rogue district judges like Judge Amy Berman Jackson. She also said the Supreme Court, quote, is partly to blame for the breakdown in the appellate process. But, Nate, make no mistake, she goes on, such a shift in the court's own behavior comes at a cost. Stay applications force the court to consider important statutory and constitutional questions that have not been ventilated fully in the lower courts on abbreviated timetables and without oral argument. They upend the normal appellate process, putting a thumb on the scale in favor of the party that won a stay. So what she's basically arguing is the court The constitutionalists on the court and the quasi constitutionalists on the court are doing Trump's bidding. Not a word about the rogue district judges who have forced the Supreme Court majority in a number of cases to step in. And they don't want to step in, but they have to step in. Because these cases can take years and years, and what the media are not telling you, and what Sotomayor is not telling you is, as an example, the immigration cases. If the lower court stay was permitted to exist, and then it's litigated to the appellate court, and you get a three-judge panel appellate court, and then it goes to the full judge, uh, the full uh, court. Then there's an appeal to the Supreme Court. The president's term could be over by the time it's decided. And this is how they hope. This is how they hope to reverse a duly elected president's perfectly legal and constitutional decisions. To bog them down in left-wing courts with left-wing judges. That's what's going on. So you understand. So the president of the United States... He's aware of this. He sees this, not just by watching Fox. He's got a lot of lawyers you saw. Some of them are really great. You saw them during the impeachment trial. And he also takes on Ginsburg. Because Ginsburg is the most political justice in my lifetime. The way CNN wrote about it back on July 13, 2016, is she's well known for her candor, you see, which was on display in her chambers late Monday when she declined to retreat from her earlier criticism of Donald Trump and even elaborated on it. He's a faker, she said, of the presumptive Republican presidential nominee, going point by point as if, Presenting a legal brief. She said, he has no consistency about him. He says whatever comes into his head at the moment. He really has an ego. How has he gotten away with not turning over his tax returns? The press seems to be very gentle with him on that. Her comments came in a previously scheduled interview. Unbelievable. Now I want you to think about that. That's a Supreme Court justice making comments like that. And they say, well, Scalia may cut. Nobody's made comments like this. Nobody. It is an outrage that a justice to the Supreme Court comments politically like this. Whatever her private thoughts. Yet there's no condemnation from law professors, not an emergency meeting of a judges association, not a word. Not a word. So you have this former general counsel to the ACLU, Ginsburg, and Sotomayor, who wear their politics on their sleeves, in the courtroom, in their opinions, in interviews, about the President of the United States. And so the President comments on this,
2: cut, 10, go. You tweeted about Justice Sotomayor uh, yesterday, saying that she and Justice Ginsburg should recuse themselves from future cases dealing with the administration. What is the basis for your opinion on that. Well, it's very obvious. I mean, uh, I always thought that, frankly, that Justice Ginsburg should do it because she went wild during the campaign when I was running. I don't know who she was for. Perhaps she was for Hillary Clinton. I can believe it. But uh, she said some things that were obviously very inappropriate she later sort of apologized I wouldn't say it was an apology but she sort of apologized and then uh, Justice Sotomayor said what she said yesterday you know very well what she said yesterday because was a big story and I just don't know how they can not recuse themselves for anything having to do with Trump or Trump related uh, the right thing to do is that now as a Supreme Court justice is a different standard but at the same time I think it's a higher standard in a certain sense so they'll have to decide what to do but her statement was so inappropriate when you're a justice of the supreme court and it's almost what she's trying to do is take the people that do feel a different way and get them to vote uh, the way that she would like them to vote i just thought it was so inappropriate such a terrible statement for a supreme court justice mark why are you
0: spending so much time on this because if i don't nobody else will that's why They're going to run to the debates and run to Senate. I'll get there. But this is a big deal. We have a rogue federal judiciary with Obama appointees, Clinton appointees, and others. We're abusing their offices, abusing their power. Whether it's Jackson or Sotomayor or Ginsburg and others. And they know it, and I know it. John Roberts follows
2: up. Here's the president. Cut 11. Go. What what was inappropriate about the statement? I'm I'm not an attorney, so I can't really look into it. Well, she seemed to criticize the White House for running to the Supreme Court at the drop of a hat. Well, let's stop
0: there. No, John, it's not at the drop of a hat. In the context, I think a reporter would want to explain, any reporter, is the myriad of actions, abuses of power by these federal district judges with these national injunctions and perhaps there'll be a cable TV show maybe even out of one of the newsrooms that will explain the explosive application of these nationwide injunctions by a single federal district judge and how inappropriate it is aimed at Trump and his policies That's how you set the stage for explaining what's taking
2: place. Go ahead. That was it. But I think what she did say is she's trying to shame the way I look at it. She's trying to shame people with perhaps a different view into voting her way. And that's so inappropriate. So let's see what happens. We have things, whether or not they recuse themselves. Both. I mean, look, Justice Ginsburg during my campaign, you know, I protested at the time. She apologized uh, in a very minor form. And... What Justice Sotomayor said yesterday was uh, really highly inappropriate, and everybody agrees to that. Virtually everybody. I've seen, I've seen papers on it. People cannot believe that she said it.
0: Of course, not on the left. They love it. Because they don't believe in tradition. They don't believe in our uh, institutions, unless, of course, they're running them. What about these judges and justices? Media? What about them undermining our judicial system? Why don't you talk about that? Because you agree with them. That's why. You agree with them. Judge Amy Berman Jackson is a disgrace. What Justice Sotomayor did was indeed an effort at publicity and pressure against her fellow justices, and not one of them joined her what Ruth Bader Ginsburg said in 2016 would have amounted, quite frankly, to an impeachable offense 100, 150 years ago. Of course, not today. But the extent of her commentary about a political candidate for president of the United States, I don't believe we've ever seen anything like that. Instead, Hollywood does a movie, slobbering all over RGB. Yes, RGB. She's written so many brilliant opinions. Can you think of one? No, she's been the most consistently hardcore progressive leftist on the Supreme Court. That's why they did a movie praising her. You want a movie praising you? Do as RG, RBG has done. You want to be a Republican and praised? Do as Mitt Romney has done. It's very simple. Very simple. I shall return. love in You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars, or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844, I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide, for example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 through 12 charter schools it's helping to found Coast to Coast. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. See, the judges can make political statements. They can put gag orders on citizens. They can attack members of the media. They can attack the President of the United States. But if the President of the United States responds, and rightly so, and legitimately so, he's the problem. If a person in the media responds who's under attack, they're the problem. And if a defendant whose life is on the line wishes to speak out about what's taking place against him. He'll be thrown in prison in solitary confinement if he dares to open his mouth against the judge. So what the hell's going on here, ladies and gentlemen? I'll tell you what's going on. The judiciary's out of control. I said it in my first book, and I'll say it again. It's out of control. These federal judges... Live a cloistered environment. Your Honor, Your Honor, Your Honor. They put on black robes. I'm surprised they don't put on white wigs anymore. They have absolute power. Which is exactly why I believe they should be term limited. Term limited. In the Liberty Amendments, I talked about term limiting Supreme Court justices. I was wrong. They should all be term limited. And there needs to be a process set up to deal with appointments and confirmations. How do you get to a judge like Jackson? Or a Sotomayor? Or a Ginsburg? Incredible. Disgraceful. They want to run the immigration system. They want to run our school system. They, run a, they want to run our wars. They want to run our school systems. What is it that they don't want to run? They've nationalized our culture. So if Anthony Kennedy, over a course of years, writing opinions that he knows will serve as the basis for a same-sex marriage. Now, you may support it, fine. But that's not the way you achieve it, by judicial edict. You achieve it by persuading your fellow citizens in the states. But that's not good enough. That's not fast enough. Now we have abortion on demand. Abortion was supposed to be rare and early. Now it's a choice. And if a baby dies on a steel table because of a bad abortion, quote unquote, we have a governor of Virginia. We have a governor of New York that thinks, leave it alone and let it die. Let it flop on the steel table like a flounder. They call it a choice. You don't treat a dog that way. Let alone a human being. Thank you, Supreme Court. Don't get me started. The media starting. Barely starting to talk about Sanders not to any legitimate extent or substantive extent in his flirtation with and his embrace of communism Marxism totalitarianism but they still won't talk about his anti-Semitism and we're going to talk about all of it that's right I said it Media Matters, mediaite. you other sleazeball reprobates, get ready, because Mark is back, and I'll be right back. From
3: the Westwood One Podcast Network.
1: He's here. He's here.
0: Like most old Reds and Marxists, Bernie Sanders hates his country. Can you tell me one speech he's ever given that has been pro-American? One speech he's ever given that's been pro-Founding Fathers? One speech he's ever given in defense of the United States Constitution? One speech he's ever given in defense of private property rights. All of these and others are principles of the American founding. One speech. You can't find one. Not one. And yet I can give you speeches and statements he's made in defense of the old Soviet Union which is responsible for murdering tens of millions. I can point to you his support for the communist regime in Nicaragua. even went to Nicaragua in the 1980s. I believe it was the seventh anniversary of the communist regime there. Uh, in support of the communist regime. It's back, by the way, killing people and shutting down newspapers. Bernie Sanders calls that democracy. Bernie Sanders refuses to call for the removal of Maduro. He supported Chavez. Doesn't talk about that much anymore, does he? And he's been a longtime supporter of what he calls Cuba. That's right, Cuba. Even today. No, he doesn't support the nasty stuff that goes on in Cuba. They have a wonderful literacy program in Cuba. But what good is literacy if you can't speak freely and you can't write freely? He doesn't really mean a literacy program, he means a propaganda program so you learn how to chant the same thing. This is Bernie Sanders. Our healthcare system sucks. The communist healthcare system is great. They have free education. If you call that education, we should have free education. Of course. They build up their military, paramilitary, militia forces. We should disarm unilaterally. Of course. Because we're the colonialist imperialists, wouldn't you know? And of course, Bernie Sanders does the rich versus poor stuff. But what he doesn't tell you is when you look at Cuba in Venezuela and Nicaragua in the Soviet Union, all the people suffer. The communal system requires everybody to give up their property, their homes, their farms, their wealth, whether it be meager or enormous. Everybody is to be the same, except, of course, those who implement these genius plans. And you must shut down all forms of resistance. Is there a communist regime that doesn't? Whether it's newspapers, radio, television, or the internet, name one. There's not one, but but Bernie Sanders was very impressed with the subways in the Soviet Union. And the artwork. And he thinks it's very unfair when you talk about bread lines. At least they have bread, he says. So it's good they have lines. At least they have bread. Some places there's no bread, so there's no lines, you see. It's a stupid old man, really. And like most Marxists, of course, they hate America. Because America is the pinnacle. Is the bulwark against Marxism. Is there another? So you must attack America, a big, complex, diverse society. You must find the areas of imperfection, which you will always find in your own lives, in the lives of others, in every institution you're aware of, let alone a big institution. Every single person doesn't go to college who wants to go. So we have to nationalize it. Every single person doesn't get the doctor they want when they want it. So we have to pretend they can under the Bernie Sanders program. And it can all be paid for. Don't bother with the math. It can all be paid for. Just steal as much as you possibly can from the people who invent things, create things, hire people. Just take it from them. Legalize massive wealth redistribution And stealing. And if you're a Marxist and you hate America, there's another country you hate too. It's called Little Israel. This is where the media won't go. And this is why I'm attacked so viciously through the lies and propaganda of media matters and media who stand with anti Semites and bigots against yours truly. Is there any debating that Linda Sarsour is an anti-Semite and a bigot? Or Ilyan Omar, or Rashida Tlaib, and yet they're all surrogates for Bernie Sanders. And he likes them and wants them to be his surrogates. And there are many more, many more. Bernie Sanders attracts anti-Semites and bigots. If Donald Trump did, or any Republican candidate did, you'd never hear the end of it. Be all-over, the constipated news network and MSLSD. But they hide it. Why do they hide it? There's many Jewish people who, who work at these networks. Wolf Blitzer. Jake Tapper. There are others. Same with CNN. Yet they hide it. You look at media matters funded by billionaires and millionaires and reprobates of all income strata. Why would they stand with Bernie Sanders and Linda Sarsour and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Talib and attack little old me with their cherry-picked st- sentences and headlines? Why would Mediaite, which is founded by Dan Abrams, a Jewish fellow, come to the defense of the bigots and the anti-Semites in defense of Bernie Sanders. Shouldn't we all be talking out about this? Shouldn't we all be speaking out about this? See, so Bernie Sanders, who they say, is leading the Democrat PAC for nomination for President of the United States. And while I was out of the country, I tweeted and posted on Facebook To you, my fellow conservatives, don't celebrate this man, even with tongue-in-cheek, as the potential nominee of the Democrat Party, which is the biggest political party in the country. Don't defend him against the Democratic establishment like we give a damn about either. When you see evil, and Bernie Sanders is evil, Marxism is evil, Bigotry and anti-Semitism is ego. When you see it, you fight it. You don't look for political advantage. And you don't wring your hands, oh, the establishment's out to get Bernie Sanders. Who cares? Good. Be far better if the Democrat Party were in fact a moderate party. So we weren't scared to death. Should the Democrat Party succeed, That's not what we stand for, is it? No, it's not. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. Bernie Sanders on 60 Minutes Sunday, cut 15, go.
3: Your stump speech, your critics say, sounds like nothing works in America, hasn't for generations. Is America great? In many ways, we are. In some ways, very significant ways, we're not. Stop. Well, give
0: us 10 ways we are. He just moves on to the ways we're not. Give us 10 ways we are. That was the follow-up. Go ahead.
3: When half of our people today are living paycheck to paycheck, when 500,000 people tonight are going to be sleeping out on the streets... All right, stop, 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 stop.
0: If 500,000 people are sleeping on the streets, that means 320 million are not. And some of the people who are sleeping on the streets are drug addicts, are mentally ill, who've been released from courts excuse me, from uh, mental institutions, really since the Nixon administration and a federal judge in Massachusetts, particularly in Boston, ordered their release. It's nothing to do with America or the American system. People make their own decisions in many respects. We have massive safety net programs, massive. And not just the feds, the state and local governments too. We're going broke paying for them. And if Bernie Sanders really feels this way, why does he favor open borders and endless migration of immigrants from other countries who are poor into this country? Who take the jobs of American citizens? His policies make no sense. In fact, they're counterintuitive. People living paycheck to paycheck. While some people are, some people aren't. Some people save their money, some people don't. But we have a a fired-up economy right now, even with the drop in the stock market, which has nothing to do with the president's economic decisions. A lot of what happens in the stock market, particularly right now, with the coronavirus, is psychological. We'll get to the coronavirus in the last hour, because I want to address it in my way. But rather than saying 500,000 people tonight are going to sleep on the streets, why don't you say 320 million people are going to sleep in their homes? Why don't you mention that? Why don't you mention that we're doing better in this country than in any other country on the planet? Why don't you mention that?
3: Go ahead. Including 30,000 veterans. You know, my father came to this country at the age of 17 without a nickel in his pocket. Couldn't speak a word of English. Had very limited education. Yes. Yeah, so. Cut 16, go. Here he is explaining why the Cuban people didn't rise up and help the U.S. overthrow Cuban leader Fidel Castro. And he educated the kids, gave them health care, totally transformed a society. That's, very- not,
2: that's
0: not what happened. They were slaughtering people to make sure they wouldn't rise up. Lawyers, teachers, professors, doctors, as well as farmers, merchants, anybody who wouldn't join the revolution, anyone who was considered a threat, anybody who ratted on anybody was executed or thrown into a gulag. Women were raped, were tortured. That's why they didn't rise up. Not because he gave them health care and he educated their children. This is a very, very demented, sick man who constantly defends communism, constantly proclaims communism, and then is offended when you call him a communist, as are his supporters. Well, he's a red. He's an old-time Marxist. That's exactly what he is. Anyone who can defend the impoverished, inhumane conditions in Cuba he talks about people going to sleep on our streets. The vast majority of people in Cuba are dirt poor. They live on rations. They don't get health care, real health care, not health insurance.
3: Go ahead. To the authoritarian nature of Cuba but you know you got it's unfair to simply say everything is bad you know when fidel castro came into office you know what he did he had a massive literacy program is that a bad thing even though fidel castro did it, a lot of dissidents imprisoned in in cuba. that's right and we condemn that unlike donald trump actually
0: you didn't condemn that
3: you don't condemn cuba
0: you don't condemn venezuela you don't condemn nicaragua you went down there and celebrated it You celebrated the Soviet Union. Who the hell do you think you're fooling? You're almost 80 years old. You have a whole record of being a Marxist reprobate. An entire record. Volume after volume with your big mouth. All you have to do is go on the Internet. It's all there. It's all there. Along with his anti-Semitic bigoted buddies all around him. It's all there on the Internet. And he moves quickly to attack Donald Trump. Like Donald Trump has anything to do with this. Anything whatsoever to do with this. Defend yourself, you coward. Be honest, you coward. Tell the truth about what you believe and who you are. And what you would do to this magnificent country. You coward. Try to do it without mentioning Donald Trump. But he's not dumb. He's not done. said a CNN town hall meeting last night, which nobody watches, with uh, Fredo Cuomo. Cut, 17,
3: go. Now, Democratic members of Congress who represent Cuban Americans in Florida, uh, you, obviously you've got to win there. They're attacking your comment as absolutely unacceptable, singing the praises of a murderous tyrant. Response. The response was when Fidel Castro first came to power, which was when? 59? Is that so right? 59, 60. Okay. He Nobody knows did.
0: when the hell it was. The revolution was in 59. Go ahead.
3: He initiated a major literacy program. There was a lot, of, uh, a lot of folks in Cuba at that point who are literate. Well, a lot of people in
0: Cuba now are literate, but they're not allowed to speak. They're not allowed to write, or they'll be shot. So that's his defense. Is that his defense of Mao tongue too? Hey, we know he killed tens of millions of people. Oh yeah, the great march forward, the five-year plan, starving people to death, locking them up, gulags, mass executions. But at least they were literate. Is that his argument? Is that his argument? For the Soviet Union, the Third Reich? What is it? They had a literacy program?
3: What an idiot. Go ahead. The Literacy Brigade. You may read that. We went out.
0: No, I don't remember the Literacy Brigade. I remember indoctrination camps. Is that the Literacy Brigade?
3: Go ahead. People learn to read and write. You know what? I think teaching people to read and write is a good thing. You're such an idiot.
0: Good job, Democrats.
4: Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.
1: Mark Levin, liberties, General Patton. Call into the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. Now,
0: Marxist or democratic socialist oh sounds so nicer they'll never tell you what their programs cost did mao waste his time telling you what his programs cost stalin do they why <laughs> castro chavez maduro they're not how much do your programs cost what are you kidding we're transforming society We're changing everything. Who cares what they cost? We don't have to sit here with a sharp pencil and figure out what these things cost. It's not what we're about. We're not about costs. We're about destruction. We call it transformation. Bernie, how much do your programs cost? Cut
3: 18, go. Go. There's also free public college, cancellation of all student debt, a federal job guarantee, and a Green New Deal to rapidly reduce carbon emissions. How much will that cost? Obviously, those are expensive propositions, but we have done our best on issue after issue uh, in paying for them. Do you know how all, how much, though? I mean, do you have a price tag for, for all this? We do. I mean, you know, and, and uh, the, the price tag is... It will be substantially less than letting the current system go. I think it's about thirty trillion. That's just no, that's
0: not correct. Ninety two trillion is off by a factor of three. But who cares? Did Mao care? Did Stalin care? Did they care in Cuba? No.
3: Go ahead. Medicare. For all do you have a, a price tag for all of these? No, things? I don't. We try to. No, you've mentioned making public colleges and universities tuition free and canceling all student debt. That's correct. That's what I want to do. We pay for that through a modest tax on Wall Street speculation. But you say you don't know what the total price is, but you know how it's going to be paid for. How do you know it's going to be paid for if you don't know how much the price is? Well, I can't, you know, I can't rattle off to you every nickel and every dime, but we have accounted for it. <laughs>
0: you- <laughs> can't rattle off every nickel and dime. How about the closest trillion, you idiot? He doesn't care. It doesn't matter. He wants to destroy the system. That's what he cares about. He's an ideologue. He's an ideologue pushing a theory that has resulted in the impoverishment and the death of tens of millions. But he'll do it differently, you see. He'll do it better, as I explained in Emeritopia. We just haven't really tried it yet in the free world. We just really need to give it a shot. He cares what it costs. And then they throw out the bromide. It'll cost less than what we pay now. We don't even know what he's talking about. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. It doesn't matter. And for the people who support him, it doesn't matter. They want the freebies, free college, get rid of my debt, free health care. I just want, want, what? That's what his supporters are. His supporters aren't the producers. His supporters aren't the people who make this country work. Quite the opposite.
3: Go ahead. Talked about Medicare for all. We have options out there that will pay for it.
0: No, you don't. And he can't even explain them. It doesn't matter what they cost, you see. They'll be debating after this show, of course. Bernie will not be asked a single question about the bigots and anti-Semites with whom he has surrounded himself. The moderators will never use the word Marxist or communist to describe him, even though he is that. They'll mention his support for some Marxists and communists, but they're not going to take the next step. Because the problem is we have a very sick media in this country. By sick, I mean unhealthy. A media that is collectively a propaganda tool of the Democrats. Not even a Bernie Sanders, of the Democrats. Social activism. And they are desperate to defeat Donald Trump. We've written about them in in Freedom of the Press, I have. And one of the big reprobates is a fellow by the name, you know who it is, Mr. Producer, Jim Acosta. Jim Acosta wrote a book, actually he probably didn't write it, somebody else did, that nobody read. Jim Acosta does a broadcast that nobody listens to. But his disrespect for the president of the United States should disqualify him if if CNN were a true news operation, would disqualify him from covering the president. You cannot have somebody who hates the target of the reporting, doing the reporting. Or you don't get the closest thing to objective news reporting that you can get. But we know CNN, the constipated news network, doesn't believe in that anyway. Here's a perfect example. President in India today. Cut 12. Go.
2: I just wanted to follow up on uh, my colleague's question about Russian interference. Can you pledge to the American people that you will not accept any foreign assistance
1: in the upcoming election? No,
0: let's stop right there. That's not a question. That's a smear job. That's a smear job. The president has never accepted foreign assistance from any foreign country. Bill Clinton did. The Chinese military. Hillary Clinton did the dossier. So, when you ask a president who's the victim of these tactics a question like that, you're intending to try and humiliate him on the international scene. It's not a serious question. It's not a real question. It's an attack. It's an attack. President won the election fair and square. You know, they build up this Mueller. We get the Mueller report. The Mueller report says there was no such thing. They still don't pay attention to the facts. Jim Acosta's is not a journalist. He's a drama queen. That's what he is. twenty what he is. He's a self-serving, self-promoting buffoon. And I write about his ilk in freedom of the Press. In other words, the news is about him. It's not about informing the American people. You ask a question like that, it's a, it's, it's, it's a question where you can't answer it properly. If the president says, no, I'm not going to ask for foreign assistance, makes it sound like, what? You mean he would have?
2: Go ahead. I want no help from any country, and I haven't been given help from any country. And if you see what CNN, your wonderful network, said, uh, I guess they apologized in a way for, didn't they apologize for the fact that they said certain things that weren't true? Tell me, what was their apology yesterday? What did they say? Mr. President, I think our record on... now. Now stop.
0: He was ready with this. He has his line ready, because he's a very dumb guy, Jim Acosta. Low IQ. So he had his line ready, Mr. President. I think our record on delivering the
2: truth. Go ahead. Truth is a lot better than yours sometimes. Your you don't mind is, me saying. Let me tell you about your record. Your record is so bad you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You probably I'm not ashamed record. of anything. In our you probably have the worst record ashamed, in the sir. history of broadcasting.
0: And why isn't he ashamed or his organization ashamed? They've done some horrible things over there at CNN, like push the dossier, like give some of the information, some of the questions. To Hillary Clinton in advance. And there's a lot more than that. Again, it's easy for you in, as individual citizens, and you can conduct journalism yourself, actually, in this country, do a lot better job than so called journalists. There's case after case after case with CNN lying. The whole Russia collusion thing, CNN pushed every night a lie. A lie. Jim Acosta. So there are no caravans. What does he mean caravans? An invasion. They're uh, right in front of his face. So Jim Acosta's a hack. Pure and simple. I want to keep moving on because uh, there's just a lot to get to since I've been away. <clears throat> the coronavirus. Ladies and gentlemen. Let me tell you a sad truth. The CDC was right today. The Corona virus will hit America at some point. We have big borders. The president has done everything he can to secure the southern border. The Democrats have done everything they can to prevent him. But people come in through boats. They come in through planes. They come in through trains. They come in on foot. They come in on bikes. They come in on automobiles and trucks. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. You can do everything you can, but you can't bubble wrap the country. And so at some point, to some extent, some way there'll be a breakout. I'm not saying it'll be a pandemic or an epidemic. Could be. But we're not going to be able to prevent it completely. It's just not possible. It's like preventing the flu completely. It's not possible. So what the Democrats have done, as soon as I heard Schumer, I knew it. In anticipation of reality, of human reality, of scientific reality, they are now trying to politicize the coronavirus. So when, at some point, it strikes our country, they'll blame the president. The president didn't act fast enough. He didn't spend enough money. He didn't have the right people in the positions. He should have closed this border, opened that border, should have shut that ship, should have prevented, you know, uh, on and on and on and on. Because really, Congress does nothing. Schumer does nothing. And so he goes to the floor of the Senate, and this has been the headline all day. The Chirons all day. Trump attack for not being prepared. Trump attack for not acting soon enough. We don't have an epidemic or pandemic in this country yet. So he's acted quite quickly. We have scientists and labs throughout this country and throughout the world that are trying to come up with an answer to this. It's not so simple. This is why when you attack pharmaceutical companies, when you want to nationalize them, when you want to take capital investment R&D away from them, this is why it's so insane for a country to act that way. But here's Schumer on the floor of the Senate today. Cut 19, go. As the virus continues to spread, The global economy is already beginning to suffer. All of the warning lights are flashing bright red. We are staring down a potential
1: pandemic. And the administration has no plan.
0: That's not true. Some time ago, the president set up a workforce to deal directly with this. Every institution of the federal government is dealing directly with this. So when he says they have no plan, it's a lie. It's a lie. Go ahead. We have a crisis of coronavirus, and President Trump has no plan. No urgency. First of all, we don't have a crisis in this country, certainly not yet. But they are trying to take steps to prevent a widespread pandemic or epidemic in the United States. Schumer is lying, and what they want to do is when the first community is hit, more than a handful of people, they want to use it to attack the President of the United States. They want to use it to defeat him for the election. Schumer contributes nothing to the welfare of this country. He contributes nothing to the health of this country. He contributes nothing to the security of this country. For this jackass to jump up on the Senate floor and give a speech like this is a disgrace and not one word in this speech, media, on what Chuck Schumer would do. Not one word, media. And let's see if they ask a single Democrat tonight during the debates after my program about their plan, because they haven't put out a single damn plan. Neither is Schumer, neither has Pelosi, nobody has. The president has asked for more money. HHS, other institutions in this country are working on it. DHS, they have to determine the extent to which they're going to prevent people from coming in this country, including American citizens. Notice not a word from Schumer about securing the border. Not a word from the Democrats or the media about securing the border. Not a word. Because that would undermine... They're constituents of illegal aliens. Go ahead. No understanding of the facts or how to coordinate a response. Shut up, you idiot. Ramble on with that big mouth of yours. I'll be right back.
1: Mudd in.
0: I see Chris Matthews had to apologize for a uh, reference, albeit indirect, to the Nazis and, uh, I guess, Sanders supporters, Mr. Producer. It wasn't a direct reference, but close enough. Tell me, has the Morning Schmo apologized to the president and his supporters for referring to them or his guests referring to them as neo-Nazis? No. You see how it works, ladies and gentlemen? You can be called neo-Nazis, white supremacists, white nationalists, on and on and on. You'll never get an apology from a Scarborough or a Mika Brzezinski or anybody in MSNBC. But in the case of Bernie Sanders, they get an immediate apology. Immediate. Why pay over 21% in interest if you can pay under 4%? It's that simple. Some credit card rates are now over 21%, whereas many mortgage rates are under 4% interest. Some even charge 3% or less, depending on your loan program. That is a huge difference. Stop burning your money. Make today the day you call my friends at American Financing. Learn how a mortgage refinance can add up to $1,000 back to your monthly budget, maybe more. Their mortgage consultants will explain how you can consolidate your high-interest credit card debt into your mortgage without setting your term over. So, you have one manageable monthly payment to focus on. Not every lender can do that, but American Financing can. They've been helping people just like you for over 20 years. They're good at what they do, and that's saving people money. So make the 10-minute call right now. Trust me, you'll be glad you did. Call 888 That's 888-900-1828. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. I think we should have... Martha McCullum on the program to discuss her book about Iwo Jima, Mr. Producer. She's written a fantastic book. She was motivated by the death of a relative, who she would find out about letter and the beautiful letters. I find out about later and the beautiful letters that he had written home. And I'd love to interview her about it because my grandfather. As you know, my mother's father also fought at Iwo Jima. Now, her relative at the time was 18 years old. My grandfather was 34 years old. He was considered an old man by those standards. But when we were attacked at Pearl Harbor, he immediately joined up, as did my father, who was 17 at the time in the Army Air Corps. But you have the 75th anniversary of the Battle of Iwo Jima. I'd love to have Martha on the program to talk about her book. So we will do that. Lots more. I shall return. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. I was gone last week, on Monday, because I went to Israel with my wife, Julie, and uh, I interviewed the Prime Minister there, Benjamin Netanyahu, for a full one hour. Um, and that's what makes the program unique, Life, Liberty, and Levin. It's not just a show of cheerleaders and people, you know, hacked off at each other, trying to get information. Conveyed to you and to other people. And he was superb, given all that he's facing. He was superb. And the polls now show that he and his party have a slight lead over the challenging party. The challenging party is called Blue and White. It was formed to defeat him. It really stands for everything and stands for nothing. And part of the coalition of votes that they need, coalition of parties like minor parties, is from what they call the Arab List, a list of Arab parties that oppose the existence of the State of Israel. Can you imagine relying on those votes in the Knesset to become the prime minister? And yet, this guy Benny Gantz, that's exactly what he's doing. Exactly what he's doing. So I want you to hear a little bit of what we discussed on uh, Life, Liberty, and Levinth this past Sunday. Cut one, go. Well, you have a big election coming up, and I'm a little perplexed as an American. You, uh, you've entered into this peace deal with the president of the United States. You've negotiated this peace deal, and this peace deal um, benefits Israel quite considerably, and the Palestinians too, in their own way. But in terms of Israel, expand your boundaries legally increases your security. Um, But this is what I'm perplexed about. You run against an individual, this blue and white party. And I'm looking at this from afar. I don't quite understand what the blue and white party stands for. You've got Arab parties that are part of the blue and white party. The leaders of these Arab parties don't support the state of Israel. So my question to you as you negotiate these things, you're the prime minister, and you look at this, How does your opposition plan to institute a peace plan that expands Israel's boundaries, increases its security when it's relying on Arab parties that don't believe in Israel's existence?
4: Uh, The blue and white party is a leftist party in disguise. Uh, Remember, the majority of Israelis are basically right and center-right. So in order to get center-right voters, they pretend that they're a center-right party and that they will take up the terrific Trump plan that, Uh, has been put forward by President Trump that's very good for Israel. It has Israel applying Israeli law, uh, adding to uh, Israel's sovereign territory. Important places like the Jordan Valley, it's a strategic buffer against invasion and smuggling of weapons from the east. Uh, It recognizes uh, the legitimacy um, and the sovereignty of Israel over uh, communities in, in our ancestral homeland in Judea and Samaria. This is completely anathema. To uh, blue and white and their leaders said the opposite just a few months ago but when the Trump plan came out they said oh we're for the Trump plan there's only one problem with that a they're not B they've said horrible things about President Trump uh, just before the Trump plan was announced uh, like comparing him to uh, Hitler and three they're dependent on the support uh, in the Knesset in our parliament to form a government on uh, the joint Arab list that says to them, if you actually accept the Trump plan, you won't be prime minister. So they're not going to adopt the, the Trump plan, which would be a historic miss. We have here the deal of the century, the opportunity of a century. We're never going to have something like this. And the only one who will, uh, uh, who will implement it is me. Uh, and I think the voters are getting, uh, you know, getting that message. Uh, so we have an historic opportunity. I don't intend to miss it. I intend to do it. But the only way that I could do it is if I'm elected prime minister. So that's what I tell our voters. The other guy is dependent on, uh, on a, a joint Arab list that refuses to recognize the state of Israel and will certainly not support the, uh, uh, the Trump plan in any way.
0: By the way, one of the things that bothers me here is most of the people in Israel don't speak English. Many do, but there's a lot who don't. So I'd very much like this show to be put out in Hebrew as well, Mr. Producer. Doesn't that make sense? It's not like we're hiding it. We aired it two times on Sunday. But for all kinds of bureaucratic and legal reasons, apparently it can't be done. I don't understand it. It's a thousand and one reasons why it can't be done. It's too bad. Because I think everybody should be able to hear this. It should be put out in every language. But in the United States, of course. But why not in the state of Israel? I mean, it's what I do. I interview people. And by the way, I said at a point that I'd be happy to interview Mr. Gantz. Now, the problem is Mr. Gantz doesn't speak English, but I'd still be happy to interview him with a Hebrew interpreter. But Mr. Gantz hides from interviews. Cut two, go. You mentioned these uh, staffers to uh, to Mr. Gantz, Mm. and I'm familiar with this too. You have two staffers who refer to our president in one way or another as Hitler, uh, and Mr. Gantz keeps them on board as senior advisors. You also have Obama advisors. I've asked
4: him him to fire them, and he wouldn't. And he wouldn't. Uh, They're the guys who have given the lines. You know, I, look, I'm appearing here. There's no teleprompter. There are no notes. There's nothing. I, you know where the teleprompter is? Inside my brain. My experience, my convictions, my, uh, my beliefs. That's my teleprompter. Okay, this guy is being fed by two people. One is an Israeli advisor called Renan Sur. He compared President Trump to Adolf Hitler. It's incredible. The greatest friend we've ever had in the White House, he's compared him to Adolf Hitler. The second advisor is an American advisor. It's uh, Joel Benenson. You said you're familiar with him? He's uh, He worked for Obama. You know? Yeah, okay, that's legitimate. Okay, he worked for Obama. But he, too, did something which I think is illegitimate. He, too, compared President Trump to Adolf Hitler. So these are the two closest advisors of Betty Guns who tell him what to say, when to say, and so on. And they're putting on an act as though they're for the Trump plan. These people who call President Trump Hitler are for President Trump's plan, come on, give me a break. So this, it's, it's one big con job. That's what it is.
2: I, I, I try to follow this closely. Mm-hmm. What
0: does Benny Gantz stand for? I mean this in all integrity, all honesty. What does this blue and white party stand for? How do you have these Arab parties and then you have people who
4: claim to be center right and so forth? The, the Arab parties are not part, the joint Arab list is not part of blue and white. Yeah. But blue but and white support, cannot get a yeah. majority right. to form a government without relying on their vote in the Knesset, either uh, a yes vote or uh, uh, an abstention vote. So what do they stand for? This? They pyramid. stand for getting into power and then applying the opposite of my policies. To get into power, they have to pretend that they follow my policies. I'll give you an example, okay? I fought really hard to get Israel's incredible gas reserves uh, out from under the seabed. They fought incredibly hard to keep them under the seabed. Now they'll say, they say, oh, we'll finance uh, Israel, our ver- various uh, social programs with the gas uh, revenues, which are actually enormous. But you fought to keep the gas under the sea. So basically, lie number one. Lie number two, we're for the Trump plan. They're not. Lie number three, uh, we're uh, against the Iran deal. In fact, Benny Gantz was for the Iran deal. I'm glad President Trump agreed with me made a bold decision to get out of the Iran deal, but Gantz wanted the Iran deal. Fourth, uh, when I went to the U.S. Congress, which was a very, very difficult thing, Gantz's senior partner in blue and white, Yair Lapid, said, this is an enormous mistake. You cannot go and challenge, uh, uh, challenge uh, uh, the Obama uh, P, uh, nuclear deal. Well, I did. Uh, they stand for everything that we stand for. In reality, they're against Now they're pretending to be for it.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, why won't Gantz show himself in an interview? Cut three, go. By the way, I just want to make it known to the American people, Mr. Gantz, you're welcome to come on the show anytime. I'd love to have an interview with you. I've been following Israeli politics for a long time. I'd like to pin you down on a few things.
4: I just want to make, make that clear, you know. Well... Listen, I don't think you're going to have much luck. I invited uh, <laughs> Benny Gantz to a debate, in fact, three debates on the economy, on security, on uh, foreign policy. He wouldn't show up to anything. You know, he's, he, and I said, by the way, I had one condition: no earpieces. You know, no, uh, feeding, no whispering in your no ear.: No whispering in your ear. But you know what? I'll give him the, the earpiece. I don't care. Uh, but he wouldn't do it. He would not do it because he can't, you know, it's, he, he can't stand the pressure. Of a TV debate, and I ask myself, you know, uh, being the Prime Minister of Israel is arguably the toughest job in the world, or none tougher. How is he going to withstand the pressures of being the Prime Minister of Israel if he uh, can't stand the pressures of a debate? He can't even stand the pressures of a Mark Levin interview. You can't be Prime Minister if you can't stand up to that. <laughs>
0: He is so charismatic, substantive, bright as hell, and funny, and funny, and hated by the left, hated by the left media. He has individuals, even within his own party, with stilettos out to stab him in the back because they want him to get out of the way so they can try to become prime minister. And they have a corrupt attorney general with a corrupt police who are trying to take him out. And yet he sits for this interview for an entire hour and he fights, keeps his sense of humor, sharp as can be, loves our president, loves our country. It's a remarkable man. I'll be right back.
1: love, in.
0: Benjamin Netanyahu on Life, Liberty, and Levin on Sunday. Cut, four, go. I have to ask you this. Uh, As I watch your journalists in this country, for the most part, very unimpressive. Some very good ones. America, same thing, but here it's even worse. Um, I have to ask you this question, but I've I've been reading this from some bloggers and others. Journalists, do you think one of the reasons that Mr. Gantz is not so publicly available to people who would like to question but about a whole panoply of issues. There's been this talk about the Iranians having compromising information, even a video. I'm not trying to be provocative. Let, let me stop there. here. I, I, I didn't want to press the point too hard with the prime minister. There are reportedly iPhone-type videos of Gantz in sex acts, Mr. Producer, that the Iranians have. I couldn't really put it that way. I wasn't comfortable putting it that way. And so you have the inevitable blackmail situation. And there have been reports in newspapers, hit-and-run reports. They don't really focus on it because they want Netanyahu to lose. In the New York Times and other publications and other journalists. But the... uh, The Iranians have stuff on this guy, Gantz. Go ahead. Do you think that in part could be one of the reasons?
4: Well, these reports are very disturbing because uh, the Prime Minister of Israel has to be able to pressure Iran and not be blackmailed by Iran. So these reports uh, seem to imply that Mr. Gantz would be uh, subject to potential blackmail from Iran. And that's terrible. I mean, we have to make sure... Israel deserves a strong prime minister who can apply pressure on our enemies and not be pressured by them. Uh, And I think I've proven that I can do it. And I can tell you, I don't think Benny Gantz, I I just don't think he's up to the job. And I say that uh, uh, as objectively as possible. The fact that he refuses to come to a debate, the fact that he refuses to answer um, a question like this, uh, or any questions. The fact that he won't come to your show I mean, it was in the tells York- you that this guy yeah. can't do it. It was in the New York Times. It's been in other publications. Well, then, the you York know, it's sort of kept down because people want to they keep it down because they want him to win. Uh, and they don't want anything that would uh, compromise his victory.
0: How much time do I have, Mr. Producer? Cut five, go. I want to swing back to Iran. You've brought it up several times Israel's greatest enemy. Right, President of the United States takes out Soleimani. Mm-hmm. He's criticized by some elements in our country, by some elements throughout the world. Now, why in the world would anybody criticize the President of the United States for taking out the number one terrorist on the
1: planet?
4: I think this was a great action. I think it was the first, May pre- the first leader in the world to uh, applaud the President for this action. This uh, uh, Soleimani was responsible for the deaths of thousands of innocent people, including Americans. Uh, He was the principal, I wouldn't say even um, executioner, I would say he was the architect and the generator of Iran's uh, empire, that that is, the aggressive expansion of Iran, by building Shiite militias controlled by Iranian commanders that he appointed uh, in Iraq, uh, in Syria. in, in, in Yemen, throughout the Middle East. Uh, and he he was, he was really the architect of Iran's uh, imperial ambitions, which knew no bounds. He killed people, he massacred people. And when the president took him out, he did a service not only for American security, but for the security of the Middle East and the world. And I can tell you, since I'm in contact with many Arab leaders, that's another change that has happened. Most of the Arab leaders are in, in, in the Middle East Uh, And many of the Muslim leaders in Muslim countries around the world, they now have very strong relations with us. If you ask them what they'd vote for, you'd be surprised. There are bloggers in Saudi Arabia, you know, one of my most ardent fans, okay? He's a Saudi blogger who says, who came here, by the way, and he says, Bibi, Likud, only Likud, you know, and that's repeating itself ad nauseum everywhere. Well, you know, when I speak to the Arab leaders, they all applauded President Trump for knocking out the most dangerous terrorists that Iran has put uh, on earth. So I think, you know, I think it should be applauded, period. Uh, and there shouldn't be a partisan issue. When
0: we come back, folks, one final important clip of my interview with the uh, Prime Minister of Israel, which I hope you saw, but if not, I'm playing the audio of it for you. I wish it was entirely in Hebrew so the Israeli people could see it as well. But apparently that's not going to happen. Also, I'm going to do one other thing after the bottom of the hour. I'm going to applaud Chris Wallace. You heard me. I'm going to applaud Chris Wallace of Fox, who's under attack by CNN for saying something that really, that really is so correct and so right about journalism. And about Jim Acosta. You got to give credit where credit is due. That's what I do. Call him as I see him. So we got a lot left in a short period of time. I hope you'll be right back. I will. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong.
1: Mark Levin, tough as hell.
2: That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-
0: 3811. And we love you, Mr. President. We truly do. Okay, the final clip I'm going to play of Benjamin Netanyahu in my interview with him for my Fox program. Cut six, go. You bring up the Arab countries, again, things happen and people almost don't realize that they're happening or they now expect them to happen. No. I mean, 10 years ago, these Arab countries in Israel were loggerheads. No. Now you have diplomatic relations, if not openly, quietly, open. open, You're also expanding the support for Israel, the capital of Israel, being Jerusalem. This has obviously been a strategy of yours, that is as aggressively as you can. It's peace through strength. Through strength yeah. you, you ever hear that? Yeah, I think <coughs> I have. Well, it's my policy too. Yeah. Peace through strength. And I, so what, what countries now would you say Israel
4: is much friendlier with than Israel was, say, 10 years ago? Let, let me put it differently. Yeah. Uh, and first of all, some of them are all come out in the open. A year ago, the late Sultan Qaboos of uh, Oman Invited, uh, invited me and my wife for a very, very moving visit with him. We spent uh, a day and a half together, uh, literally the entire day and a half. We had a dinner that lasted until the morning uh, with fantastic European music and Arab music. It was just incredibly moving. He knew he was on his last days. Um, he was very sick. But he wanted me to come as the Prime Minister of Israel. He wanted that to be one of his parting actions. That was out in the open. Um, That was a year ago. I met with the Sultan of Oman. Now, a few weeks ago, I met with the President of Sudan. Sudan uh, is uh, an African-Arab country, Muslim country, that was our worst enemy. Now I meet in Uganda, uh, under the auspices of my friend, the president of Uganda, with the leader of Sudan, who says, "Let's normalize relations." Israeli planes are already flying above the airspace of Sudan, shortcutting the town to South America. It's tremendous. I was in Chad, a Muslim African country that had no relations with us, and I was there. We reestablished relations. That was a few months ago. So something. First of all, that's above the surface. This is this is the. You know, the tip of the iceberg that you see above the surface. Below surface, I would say this, Mark. You can count in the fingers of one hand the number of Arab states and Muslim states with whom we don't have relations. Given that there are dozens and dozens and dozens of uh, such states, you understand that something very big is happening here. They recognize Israel now as their valuable ally, not as their enemy, but there is their, as their indispensable ally. Against Iranian aggression, against Daesh and Al Qaeda, we've saved so many people by sharing our impeccable and incomparable intelligence with so many countries—Arab countries, European countries, the United States. Obviously, people want that; they want that, and they want our high tech because it gives their people a better future—future future of uh, you know with uh, with cleaner water, cleaner air, uh, better communications. This is what Israel can do. So I, I've turned Israel into a global power, into a power in the Arab and the Muslim world because they respect, they respect our strengths, our strengths in innovation, in security, in intelligence. They, they respect that.
0: You know, ladies and gentlemen, I think of Britain after World War II. One of the greatest statesmen in the history of mankind, Winston Churchill. The British actually voted him out of office after World War II. I think of Margaret Thatcher, tremendous prime minister, who saved Britain from the the depths of so-called democratic socialism, which is quasi-Marxism of the Labour Party and the big unions. Saved that country. Forced out of office by the Lilliputians, the backbenchers. I look at Benjamin Netanyahu. The greatest prime minister in the history of Israel. Over nine years now. What he's done for their economy. Moving it away from socialism. You know, their founders were socialists, European socialists. Ben-Gurion and others. Moved it away aggressively. Aggressively to the market system. There's more he wishes to do, as he said. Has built up their technology sector. Has built up their military. Has a magnificent relationship with our president. And can you imagine throwing him out of office and throwing him in prison? This is what the left does. I just wish this program This was not a campaign interview or anything of the sort. It's the kind of interview I do. When the left won't talk to me. I just wish it was in Hebrew. So the people could hear it in Israel too and understand it. Now I told you before the break. That I was going to come to the defense of Chris Wallace. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. I don't always agree with Chris Wallace. I'm sure he doesn't always agree with me. But that has nothing to do with anything. And there's a website called Media. You're quite familiar with it. It's really a crappy website. It's left-wing. Sort of does what Drudge does, but does it with television clips. And the headline is, Chris Wallace scolds CNN's Acosta for a heated Trump exchange. I was horrified by his comments, he says. So that's interesting. So here's the write-up. Fox News' Chris Wallace tonight scolded CNN's Jim Acosta for a heated exchange he had with President Donald Trump. Now, I played that exchange last hour. Acosta got into a fiery back and forth with the president over the recent Russian intel briefing. By the way, which was a lie. It was a leak by Schiff and his people that the intelligence was that the Russians were Interfering in the election again to help Trump. It was a lie, and the media ran with it. The Russians are trying to help Bernie Sanders. Of course, they want to help Bernie Sanders. Can you imagine? The worst president the Russians could face would be Donald Trump. Costa got into a fiery back and forth with the president over the recent Russia intel briefing. With Trump asking, didn't CNN apologize for the fact that they said certain things that weren't true? And Acosta remarking, Mr. President, I think our record in delivering the truth is a lot better than yours sometimes, if you don't mind me saying. Wallace spoke in an event at Columbia Journalism School with New York Times correspondent Maggie Haberman, she's a real lightweight, talking about journalism in the Trump era and particularly the fact that the president attacks them and other journalists on a regular basis. One point, Wallace reiterated his serious criticism of the president's attacks on the press. But he also made a point talking about how journalists can't be engaging in ways like Acosta did. Quote, says Wallace, we can't control the president's behavior. We shouldn't try to control the president's behavior. What we can do is control our behavior. And I worry that the president's attacks have given too many straight news reporters, not talking about the opinion page or primetime, an excuse or license to cross the line themselves and to become players on the field. And I think that is a huge mistake. He said he was horrified by Acosta's comments and said, it's not our job to get into fights with the president or with presidents, I should say. It's not our job to one up presidents. It's our job to report on presidents. CNN's Communications Vice President, Matt Dornick, responded to the Hollywood Reporter's coverage of Wallace's comments and said, Chris Wallace literally works for state TV. Literally works for state TV? What a moron. I don't think Acosta or any real journalist ought to be taking advice from him. Look how they trash Wallace. Chris, if only you spent as much time and effort sharing these morsels of wisdom with your own colleagues. This is CNN's response. But Chris Wallace is exactly right to this extent. Don't get engaged in personal one-on-one with the president, whoever the president is. Ask your question, make your point, ask your follow-up and move on. Move on. You're not there to try and humiliate or one-up the president of the United States. That's not your job. The problem is CNN is run by Jeff Motherzucker. He views this as his job. So does MSLSD. That's how they view their job. They are destroying what's left of journalism. They are an unfree press. They are ideologically driven. That's who they are. Wallace's point is exactly right. It's not our job, he says, to get in fights with presidents. It's not our job to one-up presidents. It's our job to report on presidents. And for this, he's under attack. Well, not from here, Chris Wallace. You're exactly right. I'll be right back.
1: love in.
0: Let's take a call. Jane, Saratoga, New York, the great W.A.B.C., go.
5: Hey, how are you? Okay. Uh, I want, first of all, I promised that I would call you back. I'm the lady who was the mental health worker in Vermont. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. Um,
0: Where Bernie Sanders destroyed your profession,
5: as I recall. Absolutely. It. Yes. And I also, I thank your producer for talking to me. I, I grew up in Miami, Florida. Mm-hmm. Um. I used to watch my parents go off to Cuba to go gambling. Mm -hmm. And I remember when it finally hit them, when they came back from their last visit, and they said, oh, my God, we can't go back there. It's horrible. People are being beaten in the streets, possibly literate people. Yes, literate people being
0: beaten in in the streets.
5: In the streets for Mm -hmm. their opinion. Um, starving, being arrested. And my mother said, who was a great political climber in her day, uh, she said, oh dear, I guess we can't go back and gamble anymore. Mm. She was a valley girl. My daddy wasn't. Uh, My daddy said, hell no, we're not going back. He said, people are being tortured. This is what Bernie Sanders encourages. And,
0: And he's a liar. He is a pathological liar. The evidence is not only overwhelming, it's ubiquitous. What's taken place in Cuba for uh, now more than half a century. What's taking place now in Venezuela. What took place in the Soviet Union. What's taking place in Nicaragua. He supported all these regimes. Oh, I don't support the authoritarianism. Well, when you support authoritarianism and totalitarianism... The police state tactics come with it. This guy is a fraud. He is a liar.
5: And I want people to see that. I promised you that I would not stop talking to people, and I don't
0: stop. Remind talking. people who you are, what you did.
5: Oh, I do. I, I always... No,
0: now, on the radio. remind. Oh,
5: them. I was a health, uh, mental health worker in Vermont. <clears throat> Bernie Sanders had his reign of terror there, and... Um, I would go into people's homes to teach them not to be child abusers. When they thought they would lose their Section 8 housing and I found them a job, Bernie Sanders and his people would come in and say, no, 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 don't take that job. If you do, you're going to lose your housing. You're going to lose your mental health. You're going to lose your medical. A few years down the road, they lost everything. And you know where they put those people? On the outskirts of town, in rusty old trailers, and said, "Good luck to you. We don't have any more money, and you're out of luck because we don't want to help you. Because I'm going to go pay for my homes now." And that's
0: because because Bernie Sanders, his entire life has been the promotion of an ideology which rejects individual. Uh, freedom which rejects the private sector and so people who are trying to stand up break out of the welfare state and pursue their own uh you know motivations and so forth that's to be denounced all right jane i want to thank you for your call very much brad longview texas the great ktbb go hey mark how are you doing today okay all right uh well I've been listening to you for actually just a bit of years. I'm just getting into politics uh now I'm actually a college student and wonderful it just amazes me how my generation just takes and takes and takes and yet they were they they never give anything back and they're all following Bernie like a you know like a sheep to slaughter and it's just i i just uh, I'm at a loss for words at you know how people can just blindly turn an eye listen don't hang up i want to send you a copy of plunder and deceit we need to get your address that book was written for really your generation plunder and deceit ladies and gentlemen we salute our armed forces police officers firefighters emergency personnel all patriotic levinites it's a great pleasure to be home with you and god bless each and every one of you and i'll see you right here tomorrow be well